morning to you. Let's try that again, shall we? <laughs> Shalom. It's a blessing again to be with my faith family, my brothers and sisters here at Faith Bible Fellowship. I do consider myself an adjunct member, if you will. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, so glad to see you. So glad to see you united. So glad to see you uh, excited about installing a new pastor and starting another chapter. And it's just great to be with you. Um, appreciate this church family. Have a great love and uh, respect for you all. And every time I come here, it's a joy uh, to be here. The, um, the Advent reading we read earlier talked about a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. I can assure you the first 23 years of my life, I was a person walking in darkness. And by God's grace, I was born again 32 years ago this month. And that person walking in darkness, that Jewish young man who had been living 23 years basically in the dark, living in quiet desperation, really without hope, uh, the Lord opened my eyes. I was born again, and I, I believe for the first time that Jesus was and is the Messiah. I believe for the first time that he actually rose again from the dead on the third day. And I'm eternally grateful for all that the Lord's done in my life. And uh, this Advent season, um, I rejoice in the fact that uh, our Redeemer has come. He was born to die, but also to rise again and conquer the grave. And because he lives, we also shall live. Amen? Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time in the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the freedom we have to come into this place today uh, to worship and exalt our risen Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that the light of the world has come to set the captives free. Thank you for the freedom we have to come to this place. We pray now that you would prepare our hearts to receive all that you would have as we open up your word, Lord, be glorified in this place. Edify and equip us, your people, for the work of ministry. And Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Can you believe it's actually December 1st? Thanksgiving, December 1st, it's like, what happened? You know, this is, I think, about the latest that Thanksgiving can occur I was Googling Thanksgiving 2020. Not that I look ahead that much, but I was looking ahead to next year. And it's, it's back sometime. But December 1st, can you believe it? Christmas is just around the corner. Some of you may also realize my Jewish brethren around the world are about to observe Hanukkah, which begins December 22nd and runs through December 30th. In Jewish, we say Hanukkah. So I want to, you know, have our... Hebrew lesson before we begin our time in the Word this morning. So I want you to try to say that with me, okay? We're going to try to say Hanukkah together. So you got to get that guttural thing happening. And this is also a, uh, 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 an alertness technique to get every pe everybody engaged, right, with the speaker. But try to say that with me. you got to get the ch, ch, ch happening on the ha 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 so you can say Hanukkah, okay? So Hanukkah. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Very good. You did well. But for expediency's sake, and to not confuse anybody, I will refer to the holiday 
as Hanukkah, which is coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. Did you know that Jesus actually celebrated and observed this tradition of Hanukkah? Uh, I was doing some chaplaining uh, the other day at a business in Johnson City. I, I spend a little bit of my time serving as a chaplain with a ministry called Marketplace Chaplains. We provide ch- chaplain care to businesses, and I provide chaplain care at this one business, and I was talking to people about, you know, what are you doing for the holidays, this and that. And I actually asked, I asked a couple of the employees, I said, do you know Hanukkah's in the New Testament? They were like, really? I said, yeah, Jesus, in fact, he observed Hanukkah. It's like, really? I said, yeah, really. And this morning... I want to talk with you about Jesus and Hanukkah. And I want to talk to you this morning about two miracles in this season. The miracle that led to the celebration of Hanukkah and the miracle of the birth of the light of the world, Yeshua, Jesus. Now, the word Hanukkah in Hebrew literally means dedication, That's why it's called the Feast of Dedication. This is the time of year when my Jewish people around the world, but especially here in America, will celebrate and recount the story of Hanukkah by saying, Nes Gadol Hayasham, which means a great miracle happened there, there in the land of Israel. A great miracle happened there, and to better understand this miracle, I want us to turn in our Bibles, please, to John chapter 10. We're going to be reading verses 22 through 33. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 33. As we begin our time in the Word, I am reading from the ESV, so you know. John chapter 10, verses 22 through 33. We begin reading in verse 22. At At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, or the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not good for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy. Because you, being a man, make yourself God. Now, the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John and recorded several events surrounding Jesus' ministry in Jerusalem during various Jewish festivals or feasts. 
For example, in John chapter 2, Jesus cleanses the temple of the money changers and merchants during Passover. In John chapter 5, Jesus heals a sick man at the pool of Bethsaida at an unnamed Jewish festival. And in John chapter 7 and 8, we find Jesus ministering during the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, which is usually celebrated during late September, early to mid-October on our Gregorian calendar. And now we come to John chapter 10. And in the first 21 verses of John chapter 10, Jesus is giving testimony about himself, specifically saying that he is the good shepherd. And now we're going to pick it up in John chapter 10, verse 22 and 23. Back to John chapter 10. Check it out. Verses 22 and 23. The word says, At that time the feast of dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. Now, first of all, we need to answer the question, what is the Feast of Dedication? And I already gave you the answer before. That would be Hanukkah, my friends. Now, the Feast of Dedication actually commemorates a legendary miracle and the heroic freedom fighters of Jewish folklore. In Hebrew, we say, as I just said, Nesgadol Hayasham. A great miracle happened there. Traditionally, Hanukkah is celebrated for eight days. In the 1930s, we began the tradition of giving each other gifts on each night. And why the 1930s? Well, you see, that was a time when the celebration of Christmas actually became very commercialized in America. If you've studied the history of Christmas around the world, in the 30s, the commercialization of Christmas really grew by leaps and bounds in America. And so, in a parallel sense, Hanukkah also gained increased importance here, especially in North America among Jewish families, especially among secular Jewish people who wanted a Jewish alternative to the Christmas celebrations that often overlap with Hanukkah, as is the case this year. Now, if you're wondering, Hanukkah around the world outside North America in the Jewish community is actually a minor holiday. But here, because of the elevation of the commercial Christmas, Hanukkah has become very big here in America, especially. Now, though it was traditional to give gelt or money coins to children during Hanukkah, many families instead gave gifts in order to prevent Jewish children from being left out of the Christmas festivities, the holiday festivities. Now, when I was a boy, my Jewish mother, she remarried a Gentile man, a professing Christian. He was a wonderful man named Jack. And Jack really got into Christmas. And every year while they were married, my mom put up this little, this little tree, okay? And she put lights and ornaments on it. And, you know, we used to give gifts on Hanukkah and, and on Christmas. You know, when you're liberal Jewish people, I grew up in a Reformed Jewish home, uh, you give gifts on Hanukkah, you'll give gifts on Christmas, uh, just to be in the spirit of the season, right? Um, but Christmas had real no spiritual significance to us. But as a boy, one day I asked my mom, I said, Mommy, what, tell, me, tell me about the tree. What, what, what is that all about? And my mom smiled and she said, Oh, son, that's just a Hanukkah bush. <laughs> yes, indeedy, the Hanukkah bush. Yeah, we had one of those in our house <laughs> and we were proud of it. Now, traditional Hanukkah foods include Potato latkes, you know, those are potato pancakes. Anybody like latkes? 
Anybody had a real latke in New York City at a deli? Next time you're in the big city, go to a deli, get a latke. You, you, you won't be disappointed, okay? Um, we like donuts also in Hanukkah, foods that are fried to commemorate the oil that lit the menorah that stood in the temple, which brings us back to the great miracle that happened there, there in the land of Israel. I want to give you a little bit of historical setting, okay? I want to set the stage a little bit as we unpack Hanukkah briefly this morning. Now, from 175 to 168 BC, BC, the Jewish people living in Judea were being persecuted by a Syrian Greek emperor named Antiochus IV, who was part of what was known as the Seleucid dynasty. Now, he was an aggressive proselytizer of the Greek or Hellenistic culture. Now, by 168, in the Jewish community, the strongest Jewish political party at that time in Jerusalem, they were called the Hellenizers. This was a group of Jewish people who were actually promoting Greek culture. Now, Antiochus, he introduced paganism, he built gymnasiums, he introduced Greek games, but he also did some very nasty things. He plundered the temple and he murdered the temple priests. This guy wasn't exactly a nice guy. Actually, he was a pill, okay? He took the name Epiphanes, meaning manifest God. In response, the Jewish people nicknamed him Epimanes, which means the madman. Can you imagine? The manifest God versus the madman. There was a great gulf fixed. He campaigned for the honor of worship of himself as God. And amazingly, this event was foretold in Daniel chapter 11. Hopefully we have it on the screen. But in Daniel chapter 11, we read this. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. And the king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished. For what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by women. He shall not pay attention to any god for he shall magnify himself above all. Now, while we often think of the abomination of desolation, and we often think of the fulfillment of this prophesied abomination of desolation by Antichrist, which will occur in the future, this abomination of Antiochus Epiphanes was actually a partial fulfillment of that prophecy of Daniel and actually a preview of that future horrific time of Antichrist's actual abomination of desolation. And if you're wondering about the abomination of desolation committed by Antiochus, know that on the 25th day, isn't that interesting? The 25th of December. But this was the 25th day of the Hebrew month of Kislev. On 168 BC, Antiochus actually sacrifices a pig on the holy altar in the temple, in the Holy of Holies. That Holy of Holies, previously dedicated to God, was set apart unto the service of God to worship Him. But now Antiochus pours the most unclean thing imaginable 
in the Jewish community upon that altar, pig's blood. Then he demanded that the people worship him as God. And he actually introduced a prostitution cult, if you can imagine. Historians wrote about that time in Jerusalem, quote, Jerusalem became strange to those born in her. What resulted was the revolt led by the Jewish priests called Hasadim and a group of freedom fighters that we shall come to know later as the Maccabees. Now this revolt, interestingly, was not only a a war against the outside enemy, right, Antiochus and the oppressors, but it also was a civil war. And you say, how's that work? Let me explain. The priest Mattathias Maccabee gathered his family and a group of priests to form a rebellion against Antiochus and those loyal to the Hellenists. This group of freedom fighters, as I just mentioned, they were called the Maccabees. In 168 BC, a company of Greek officers intending to enforce the king's ordinances addressed Mattathias. They came up to him one day and they, they ordered him to begin sacrificial offerings to pagan idols, promising that in return he and his sons would be admitted to the king's close circle of friends. Joy, joy, right? Mattathias refused. And what he did first was he killed a Jewish person loyal to the Hellenists who were sacrificing to pagan idols, who were rebelling against the God of Israel, the God who is. And then he killed one of King Antiochus' men. And in the midst of this, Mattathias yells out. He says, Whoever is for the God of Israel, follow me into the hills. And it was there they worked out their strategy. They worked out their strategy for overcoming the oppressor. Now it appears that the revolt was first directed at the Jewish people who submitted to Greek culture, as we just mentioned, then towards the foreign oppressor. And we might ask the question, why did it happen like that? Well, because a house divided against itself cannot stand, and we know that from the Word of God, and certainly cannot stand in battle. You know, for you and I today as Christians here in America in the 21st century, there is an application. What in our lives are we willing to compromise on so that we can protect ourselves from persecution, whether it be physical, emotional, or in other ways? Do we avoid taking a stand for the Lord because it might bring on persecution from family or friends or neighbors or co-workers or perhaps those we might go to school with? Mattathias is a great example to us. He refused to compromise. Now, the Lord calls each of us to be holy unto Him, to be dedicated unto Him. Remember the Lord said, He said in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, and He reiterates it in the New Testament, these words. He says what? Be holy as what? I am holy. That's right. Be holy as I am holy. And sometimes, setting ourselves apart for the Lord, consecrating ourselves to the Lord, seeking holiness unto God, means that we go against the crowd, does it not? Sometimes even against those close to us. And sometimes it may place us in very difficult circumstances, as it did the Maccabees. Now, interestingly, three years to the day 
of Antiochus sacrificing pig's blood on the altar and demanding them worship him as God. That happened in the, on the 25th day of Kislev, 168 B.C. Three years to the day, 165 B.C., the 25th day of the Hebrew month of Kislev. Judah Maccabee, the third son of Mattathias, along with 3,000 freedom fighters called the Maccabees, as we've talked about, their band of 3,000 soldiers overcame and defeated Antiochus' army of 47,000 soldiers. Can you imagine? Yes. That was a miracle in and of itself. And as the Jewish people celebrated their victory, the temple was then cleansed and rededicated. So far, so good, right? Historically, we know the victory and the rededication of the temple are historical fact. They're true. But what about the miracle of the light? And why is Hanukkah sometimes referred to as the Festival of Lights? Have you heard Hanukkah referred to as the Festival of Lights? And I'm sorry, I was going to bring a menorah today, please forgive me. But has everybody here seen a menorah before? You've, you know what a menorah looks like? Perhaps you've, you've lit a menorah before, but you know what a menorah looks like. The legendary of the miracle of light is found in rabbinic writings, actually, but in no other sources. The menorah with the seven branches was actually lit continuously. It could never go out. In fact... In synagogues, even in synagogues, perhaps right here in Oak Ridge and in East Tennessee and around the world, there is a light. There is a light that stays lit continuously. It is called the Ner Tamid. The Ner Tamid is the eternal light. And it's a tradition in Judaism today to keep that eternal flame lit in the temple. Now, the temple had been desecrated for three years, and during that time, the menorah had actually remained unlit. Now, legend has it that as the temple was cleansed and the menorah was to be lit once again, that there was only enough oil to last for one day. Yet, miraculously, the menorah remained lit for eight days, enough time for the priests to press the olives to make oil for the menorah to stay ablaze continuously. And so we say again, Nesgadol Hayasham, a great miracle happened there. Now, is there any truth to the legend of the light? We don't really know for sure. But what we do know is that a very important Jewish feast that had been missed because of the desecration of the temple was now being reinstituted. It was called Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the third of the three fall feasts. And it was one of the three... It was one of the three fall feasts, or one of the three feasts of Israel, I should say, on the Jewish calendar, that all the Jewish men were required to go up to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate. And so it's, it's likely that as a part of the celebration of the, of the Maccabean victory over Antiochus and his army, that this feast of tabernacles would also have been observed. And why do we think that it was observed? Well, traditionally, light was a very important part of Sukkot. Now, at Sukkot, there in the temple, at the time of Christ, there were actually four giant candelabras in the court of the women. The Talmud, the Jewish oral law, tells us that these candelabras were 75 feet tall. Can you imagine? So at night during Sukkot, when these candles were lit, the Talmud tells us Jerusalem was illumined like it was the day. 
And so those candles represented the Shekinah glory of the Lord and also the promise of the coming Messiah. In fact, King Solomon, when he rededicated the temple in the book of Chronicles, he rededicated the temple, or actually I should say he dedicated the temple originally during which feast? The Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. And so traditionally we light the menorah. Now we always light the servant candle first and then we light the other candles. It's called the shamash, the servant. And we sing a little song that goes like this. O Hanukkah, O Hanukkah, come light the menorah. Let's have a party, we'll all dance the horror. And while we are dancing, the candles are burning bright. One for each night they shine a bright light to remind us of days long ago. Nesgadol Hayasham. A great miracle happened there, there in the land of Israel. But you know, there is a second miracle of light we want to address today, and it is the miracle of the birth of the light of the world, Messiah Jesus. Remember in John chapter 7 and 8, Jesus is teaching at the Feast of Tabernacles, as we've mentioned. And in John chapter 8, verse 12, the scripture doesn't explicitly tell us, but Jesus may very well have been standing right next to these giant candelabras when he would say of himself in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Remember earlier, we noted that Hanukkah is tradition. Jesus celebrated these very same traditions, and he used these occasions also to preach the gospel. In fact, the only place Hanukkah is mentioned in Scripture is right here in John chapter 10. Jesus was in the temple teaching. He was walking in Solomon's colonnade. And the Jewish people were around him, and they were saying, how long will you keep us in suspense if you truly are the Messiah? Tell us plainly. Interestingly, Jesus was very clear about his identity. Now, how and when did Jesus tell people that he was the Messiah? Well, in John chapter 4, while speaking with the Samaritan woman at the well, he proclaimed he was the Messiah at the very end of their conversation, do you remember the conversation? Jesus with the woman at the well? The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And to the blind man in John chapter 9, Jesus said of himself, I am the son of man taken from the apocalyptic vision of Daniel 7.13, where the prophet recorded, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. He came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. Now, despite what Jesus clearly communicated about his identity, the Jewish leaders still asked, Hey, Jesus, if you're the Messiah, just tell us. Now, when the Lord called Ezekiel into ministry, he told the prophet these words. He said, I'm sending you to a people who should understand, but they won't. In John chapter 1, verse 11, we see Jesus, the prophet, 
greater than Ezekiel, the prophet greater than Moses, the prophet of all prophets, the prophet, he experienced a similar response, right? In John chapter 1, verse 11, the word says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And in fact, the word adds, he came in the th- into the world and the world knew him not. This Advent season, seven billion plus people on, in the world, only two billion acknowledge Jesus in any way, shape, or form. Isn't that remarkable? 2,000 years ago, Jesus' words ring prophetically true even here today in 2019. Now, today, perhaps you have or are clearly sharing the gospel with people in your life who just don't understand. They don't get it. Anybody there? They reject you. They reject the message. They want nothing to do with your Jesus. I have, for example, my family. I've got friends. You have people in your, in your life. People who don't receive the Lord who reject the message. I want us, brothers and sisters, to take heart, okay? The prophets were often rejected. Jesus himself was often rejected. And guess what? As ambassadors for Christ, we sometimes will be met also with resistance and rejection, sometimes from people very, very close to us. Anybody relate? Have you been there? But I want to encourage you. Keep loving them. Keep praying for them. Keep demonstrating God's love to them in tangible ways. And as the Holy Spirit opens up doors of opportunity, proclaim the gospel to them. Share the truth that sets men and women free. Because the reality is, it is for the one who will listen. It is for the one who does receive the truth and receive Christ. It is for that precious one who comes to know the Lord that brings forth a heavenly celebration. As the Lord said in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, I say to you that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just sinners are just persons who need no repentance. Isn't that wonderful? Stay faithful, brethren. Keep witnessing. Keep praying for them. I've been praying for, for, for my lost family for 30 plus years. And I've seen God moving. Not nearly as fast as I would like to see Him move. But I've seen God move in my family's life. And I continue to pray for them and share as God opens up doors. And I pray every time I see them, Uh, I saw them last month in Atlanta, my mom and my sister. I prayed that they would see Christ in me. You know, people may quibble with your words, but they can't quibble with your countenance. When you're abiding in Christ, when you're experiencing and expressing the joy of the Lord, guess what? It's a powerful testimony. And it's going to do one of two things. It's either going to repel them or it's going to attract them. But when it repels, praise the Lord. On a human level, we don't like that. But, But in a spiritual sense, praise God. He is shining His light through you. And the light exposes darkness, okay? So I want to encourage you during this season where it can be very painful for lost loved ones in your life and in your world, friends, co-workers, people, keep on keeping on. Keep on lifting them up to the throne of grace. Keep on witnessing to them as God gives you opportunity. Now I want us to think for a moment about what the Jewish people's idea of Messiah was at the time of Christ. What did many Jewish people in Jesus' day Hope and imagine Messiah would be like when he arrived. 
like one of the Maccabees, perhaps? Many imagined that the Messiah would actually be a military leader of sorts, someone who would lead a, a, a rebellion and defeat the Roman Empire. Since they had a fixed idea in mind, they were not willing to accept God's provision. In the very truth, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The truth that was manifest right before their very eyes in flesh and blood. God in the flesh. They weren't willing to listen. They weren't willing to receive. What many people at that time failed to realize is that Messiah would come not to defeat the outside enemy, namely Rome, but he came to defeat the enemy within, the enemy called sin. The prophet Jeremiah wrote, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's the bad news. The good news is this. The Jewish prophet Isaiah wrote 700 years before Jesus walked this earth about the saving work of Messiah on our behalf. When he wrote in Isaiah 53, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Praise God for the good news that brings forth spiritual healing for the human heart. And there are a lot of hurting people today who need spiritual healing. Amen? And a lot of people today looking for love in all the wrong places. But we have the answer in the person and work of Jesus the Messiah. You see, Jesus came to deliver people not from political bondage, but from spiritual bondage. But there were other reasons also why many people of his day rejected Jesus and the gospel message. First of all, they had the information, but they chose to ignore it when it did not match their expectations. In John 10.25, Jesus said to his audience, I did tell you, but you chose not to believe. Evidently, many chose not to be impressed since they were expecting a military leader like Judah the Maccabee. But people also rejected the gospel message because it threatened the status quo and because it was an inconvenient and uncomfortable truth. You see, the gospel message back in the first century, just as the gospel message is today in the 21st century, was and is definitely not PC, right? <laughs> the gospel is not PC. Remember in Jesus' day, the Roman Empire had given the Jewish religious leadership and the Jewish people freedom to practice their religion as long as they did not rock the political boat and create religious waves, if you will, right? If someone made waves and was seen as a threat to Rome and the status quo, the hierarchy of things, there were going to be problems. Well, guess what, brethren? Jesus did not only rock the boat. He rocked the world. Amen? And you and I, 2,000 years later, we are living proof, right? We are living proof of that reality. 
that he came to set the captives free. That this is where the, the, the true freedom fighters really are. Those of us who make up the body of Christ, his people. And I want us to take heart today. We talked about people who may be in your world that are hardened to the gospel. I want us to remember, as I speak these words, as we fellowship as God's people, as we open up the word and worship the living God, Jesus said these words. He said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. As I'm speaking, as we're here, there are people around the world entering the kingdom right now. They're receiving the Lord. He's doing his work. You know, Psalm 121 says, The God of Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. Right? He doesn't take a vacation. <laughs> okay? He doesn't get tired. He's always working. Always working to accomplish his plans and purposes. Not only in our lives on a micro level, but in the, in the experience of the universe and his redemptive plan for all things, all the time, the God of Israel neither sleeps in, or slumbers. But back in the first century, the Lord had troubles. There were lots of troubles that Jesus experienced. He had conflict with the Jewish religious authorities since the very beginning of his public ministry. Remember in John 2 when he cast out the money chambers and merchants from the temple? Uh, they were none too happy, right? And when he revealed his identity, not only in his words, but also through his signs, wonders, and miracles, you'd have thought, they saw it. They saw him. They saw his works. They didn't believe. But the question remains, if those who rejected him saw the signs that Jesus performed and heard the words he spoke, why then didn't they believe? Jesus tells us why in John chapter 10, verse 26, when he said, you do not believe because you are not my sheep. The Maccabees followed Judah and his brothers. The Jewish religious leadership categorically would not follow the Lord. They chose not to trust him. They chose not to be dedicated to him. But those of us who are his sheep, we do trust him. And when we dedicate ourselves to following him, then we will be sanctified wholly unto him. Amen? Our good shepherd in John chapter 10 provides great assurance to those who hear and follow him when he says, back to John chapter 10, verses 27 through 30, the Lord spoke and he said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one who is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. In sharp contrast to the sheep's response, notice the harsh response of those who rejected Jesus now as we close our time in John 10. Look at verses 31 through 33. Verse 31, the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father, of which of them are you going to stone me? The Jews answered him, it is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for what? For blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Think about the context now, it's very important. Why do you think they responded this way? Well, perhaps... 
because Jesus was now making the same exact claim as this madman Antiochus Epiphanes had made roughly 200 years earlier. I'm God. And by the way, in the Gospels, Jesus never refrained people from worshiping him. He never rebuked or kept people from worshiping him, right? He said, before Abraham was, I am. He was very clear about who he was, not only as Messiah, but also as God in the flesh. And so the Jewish community of that day, two centuries, it was not very long, right? That story of Hanukkah and the Maccabees' triumph over Antiochus and his army, the rededication of the temple and all of that, that would have been a story handed down from generation to generation, only 200 years. And now it was the story of a man who stood in this very same place in the temple claiming to be God. There's a little more context for you, right? But the difference here is that Jesus was God. Jesus is God. And not only did he declare it, he backed it up by doing things only God can do. Nesgadol Hayasham, a great miracle happened there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of what? And full of truth. As His people today, we can praise the Lord because Jesus is the light of the world and His light is the glory of the Father shining in and through us. And you know what, brothers and sisters? That light should burn so brightly in and through us that people all around us are going to either be drawn to the light or they're going to be blinded by the light but either way praise god may the light of god's glory shine in and through us during this advent season that others would come to know him amen as jesus himself said on the sermon on the mount in the same way let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven just as that servant that shamish candle lights all the others. You and I are called to be light in the world. As the Apostle Paul noted in Philippians chapter 2, he wrote, Do all things without complaining and disputing, so that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, Nesgadol Hayasham, a great miracle happened there in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago when the light of the world, Jesus, was born. And because of that, we, his children today, we rejoice and we say, Hallelujah. But there's more. As God's people, we can also say this today. We can say, Nesgadol Hayapo, a great miracle happened here, here in my very own heart. I mentioned this earlier, but 32 years ago this month, I, a person walking in darkness, came to see, believe, and receive that great light, the light of the world, the person of Jesus. And I'm eternally grateful 
And for those of us who know Christ today, we can say the same thing. Amen. Neskadol Hayapo, a great miracle happened here, here in my heart. Today, may each of us rededicate ourselves to him who died for our sins and rose again on the third day. And as we do, may we live out loud, uncompromising, and shout for joy the one who is worthy of all praise, honor, power, dominion, and glory. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we are humbled that you came to die for our sins, to rise again, conquering the power of sin and the grave, and giving us, your children, abundant life and eternal life. Lord, we thank you that you are the light of the world. During this Advent season and beyond, I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself here that you would shine your light through us, Lord. May we be lights to a world walking in darkness, among people walking in darkness who desperately need the light of Christ, people who desperately need salvation. Lord, be with us this holiday season. Help us to keep our eyes focused on Jesus, the reason for the season, the author and finisher of our faith. For your glory, our good, and for the expansion of your church, we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.